It is great. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for coming out to join us. What is always, man, it's always a very special day whenever the focus is placed on Christ and that focus is placed there by our children. See, we want to raise children that are going to be tellers of the greatest story that has ever been told. And thank you for coming, not just to encourage them, but to hopefully be encouraged yourself. And we appreciate you being here. And, uh, and if you did not get a picture with the Christmas donkey, don't worry. You can have another opportunity here coming up. Uh, I got to be honest with you, this week is a big week for me. It is. I have a birthday on Tuesday the 12th, and it is a big birthday. Uh, it's the birthday that you divide your life by. You know, it's, it's the birthday that everything happens before this birthday or after this birthday. It's the big 5-0. That's the one that I get to um, celebrate, and the word is actually already out because just a couple of weeks ago, I got a notification in the mail that I am eligible now for AARP membership. In fact, I got this in the mail. Welcome to the 50s club. Isn't that great? Man, isn't that wonderful? Uh, now, I got to be honest, I started just to throw this card in the, in the trash. But then I saw that if I acted now, I could get a free insulated trunk organizer. And if you look on that, man, it, it, it folds up, it, it's small, but it expands to fit all. It's insulated and it keeps all the cold stuff cold. You, you can put your groceries and your tools right there, side by side. Everything stays in one place. And then I started thinking, you know, nothing confirms you're getting old like getting excited about a trunk organizer. <laughs> But I did. I was like, I think I might have to sign up. It's like $16.95. I can do this. I also read this week that there is another sign that you are getting old. I don't know if you knew this or not, but as we age, most of us tend to stop paying attention to new music, and we just end up sticking with the music of our adolescence, and we focus in on the songs from our past. And it's the reason why so many of our playlists are are just heavy doses of Eagles, or Journey, or 80s hair bands, or 90s country. The younger crowd might go wild for Taylor Swift, but you're just going to stick with new kids on the block. That's just how we are. We, we just go back to what it is that, that we know. It, it's something that is comfortable for us. And academics actually use a term called open-earedness to describe this willingness to explore new music. And across our lives, this willingness, well, it waxes and it wanes. And we become intensely aware of music about early adolescence. And we start focusing in on the, the different tunes that our friends are listening to. And it becomes really a, an invite into a, a social culture. And as we go on into early adulthood, that, that open-earedness, it expands some, only to see that open-earedness decline as we age. You see, in his book, This Is Your Brain on Music, neuroscientist Daniel Levitin writes, when we love a piece of music, it reminds us 
of other music we have heard. And it activates memory traces of emotional times in our lives. You see, what we think is just our own special taste in music was actually simply a, a dopamine reaction arising from patterns within our brain that recognizes and then creates the expectation of pleasure based on pleasures of the past. When we stop actively listening to, to new music and to unfamiliar music, what happens is those pathways become severed. Now, it might take a few decades to get there, but the result is eventually all the young people's music, no matter what decade you come from, all the young people's music will alienate and bring no pleasure because we no longer associate the musical style with pleasurable memories from our past. And it's why you enjoy certain Christmas songs more than others. We hear these Christmas songs and it takes us, sometimes even unconsciously, it transports us back to Christmas's past. When we were young and, and when we were innocent and when we just couldn't wait for Christmas to finally arrive. So let's check and see what Christmas songs impact you guys the most. If you were not able to take our quiz earlier, go ahead, take out your phone. If you'd like for someone nearby to vote for you, just say, hey, would you, would you vote for me? I, I really want mine to be counted. Every vote counts here at EB, all right? So let's see what the responses show. We added some new ones this time because I heard from a lot of you, you didn't put my favorite song on there last week. And that's why other won until I guilted all of you for not choosing something that celebrated Jesus, right? You remember that? And so then Joy to the World was the award-winning song last week. So this week we've got a, a, a number of songs for you to choose from. We tried to put all the, all the favorites that we could potentially think of. And it looks like that All I Want for Christmas did not win. Okay, All I Want for Christmas is not the favorite. They did come in second. Again, all of you secular people. All right. It came in second. And it came in second to Oh Holy Night. How many of you voted for Oh Holy Night? We got some of those. All right. Hey, thank you for voting for mine and my wife's favorite Christmas song. Thank you for doing that here on my birthday week. Let me just make sure that, uh, uh oh, there have been changes. Changes that have come in. Thankfully, Oh Holy Night is still number one. All I Want for Christmas, oh, it's, it's getting just trounced now. Because again, joy to the world has made a comeback. See what happens when I guilt you? Some of you went back and you voted twice. The first time you voted for All I Want for Christmas, and then you were like, oh man, joy to the world, fine. And you voted for it. And we all have these Christmas songs. And they're special to us primarily because not just the words and not just what they make us think of, but where it takes us back to. There's actually some Christmas songs that are in your Bible. You might not realize it. I wanted to talk about one that you may have never heard before. It's by an old dude. I thought that would be fitting today. It was an old dude, but he could not help but voice a new song when he realized that he was going to be having a son who was going to prepare the way for the Lord. You get to read this particular song in its entirety in the Gospel of Luke. We're just going to focus on a small part of it. Luke chapter 1, if you'd like to open your Bibles there. 
The man's name was Zechariah, and he and his wife Elizabeth had lived their entire life based on a 2,000-year-old story written in their sacred scriptures. You see, Jehovah God had promised to bless a man named Abram. And not only was that blessing going to be from him, for him, but also for his descendants, and then eventually all the peoples of the world would receive the blessing of the Lord. Now, Abram would have a son, and then he would have a son, and then he would have many sons. And all of those great-grandsons of Abram and their families would end up in Egypt. Over time, their numbers would multiply, and they would become enslaved. But God would rescue them, and he would take them to a place that they would claim as their own. And their nation would grow mightily. But they would forget God over this time, the God of their ancestor Abram. And as a result, these same people, these same people who were descendants of Abram, who had promised to have been blessed, they end up being conquered some 25 times. But there was always a remnant. There was always a group of people who held to the promise that Jehovah God would rescue and redeem. In 65 BC, Pompey would march his army into Jerusalem. He would walk into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred space of the temple for Abram's descendants. And finding nothing there worthy of a deity, he would declare that God Jehovah was dead and that Jupiter was truly Lord. Many Jews at that time began to turn away. They turned away because it looked like the story and the promise, the one that they'd been passed down from generation to generation. Well, it was just that. It was just a story. And nothing was going to happen. All of this waiting on God. But there was nothing that was going to take place. Zechariah would have been a boy when Pompey made his declaration. But Zechariah continued to believe. In fact, he would grow to become a priest at that very temple that Pompey desecrated. One day, while taking care of his priestly duties, Zechariah was visited by a godly messenger who told him that he and his wife, even in their advanced age, would have a son who would turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he would prepare the people for the coming Lord. Now, as you might imagine, Zechariah was skeptical of the message, and as a result, well, he was unable to speak until that child was born. But after nine months passed, Elizabeth gave birth to their son, and Zechariah, with voice restored, began a full-throated praise of God. His song was both declarative and expectant. He said, praise the Lord, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior, just as he promised. But here's the thing. The Messiah had not been born when he let out this song of praise. Christmas had not yet arrived. Deliverance and redemption and light and blessing had not been realized. Zechariah's praise is offered solely in faith. You see, he tells and he understands that Christmas is coming. The Messiah is coming and he celebrates that even though it hasn't happened. And here's a strange thing. Even after Jesus is born, it's still going to be another 30 years before he actually begins his ministry. And yet, Zechariah praises God for what he's going to do as if it has already been done. You see, Zechariah has incredible faith that God is going to continue to help his people and keep his promise. Even though he is still under Roman rule, even though he is still in the minority in this world, even though he is suffering, he is still waiting on God. And he praises God. And I think the reason is because he sees the world through eyes of faith that believe in God's promises. 
and the fact that faith in God is never misplaced. Friends, we're here today to enjoy the culmination of that faith. Our communion this morning is both declarative and expectant. As we share bread and cup, we declare our salvation. The salvation that we have in Christ, we declare that Christmas has arrived. And as we share bread and cup, we expect a, a coming advent. Christmas is near. Our communion experience is an announcement of our faith in God's promises. He promised to redeem, and he has. He promises to restore, and he will. Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again. Because God keeps his promises. Believe it. Declare it. Expect it. As we share bread and cup. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father. Humbly and simply we say thank you. For sending a mighty savior. Just as you promised. It's in his name that we share bread and cup and celebrate this morning. Amen. We shall assemble on the mountain, we shall assemble at the throne, with humble hearts into his presence, we bring an offering of song, glory and honor and dominion, unto the shall assemble on the mountain, we shall assemble at the throne, with humble hearts into his presence, we bring an offering of song, and glory and honor and dominion, unto the Lamb, unto the not, 
But Zechariah and Elizabeth's son grew up to be a godly man and a godly preacher who had thousands that followed him. They called him John. You know him as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, John the Washing Man, because he would come and challenge his people to repent of their sins, and, and when they did, well, he would he'd wash them. He'd baptize them. And as Jesus would come along later then after John, and as Jesus' ministry would begin to grow, rather than competing against it, John understood and John accepted his role. And you know what his role was? He was the setup man. That's what he was. He was the setup man. And at one point, he humbly said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That was his attitude and his humble spirit. So the question that we have today before us is simply this. What if, what if like John, I were to view myself humbly as just the setup man for Jesus? Well, what if you were to just say, you know what, that's, that's my role. That's my role. I am, I'm the setup woman. I, I'm the setup man. Knowing your place in the Christmas story means allowing Jesus to take center stage. It's moving over to the side or stepping off the stage entirely. Where we fade into obscurity. He must increase. We must decrease. You see, in a sense, we are all forerunners of Christ. Announcing what was, what is, and what will be. And I think, friends, that's a song that we all can sing, no matter how old we are. Today, our children are going to be asking us to sing along with them, to sing along songs of praise to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. You see, they're going to be continuing Zachariah's song. They are going to be, just for a moment here, the set-up people for Jesus. And they are going to be announcing that the Lord has visited and that the Lord has redeemed his people just as God promised. And I'm just thankful that they want all of us to be able to share in the story. So Father, as we enjoy this time together, may we again say thank you for sending a mighty Savior just as you promised. And may each and every one of us, no matter our age, continue to sing the song that puts the spotlight on Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.